And always such a great time that we can participate in the Samaritan's Purse Ministry Operation Christmas Child. And I want to welcome you again today. Thank you for being here at Great Hills Baptist Church. We're delighted that you're here. God is so good to us. I love, love this time of the year, time of Thanksgiving, time for us just to reflect, ruminate, just think about all the ways, the many ways God continues to lavish His love and grace upon us. Uh, many of you are sick and at home, and I understand that. Uh, my wife, my daughter are not feeling well. God bless y'all. We're here. We miss y'all. Wish that you were here. Others are sick. It's also that time of year. People get uh, feeling a little bit under the weather, but uh, many of you are watching us on Facebook live stream. God bless you. Thank you for tuning us in. But thank you guys for being here today. We are in a study in the book of Acts, and if you're a guest, I thought it might be appropriate to just kind of give you a, a little bit of, a, you know, just kind of a understanding of kind of what we've been doing since January the 29th. Church, do y'all believe that? We started preaching in the book of Acts, January the 29th, and we're not even through Acts chapter 7. So the Lord could come back and we could still be, you know, in the, in the book of, and by the way, we're not going to get very far today. We will only get just a few verses into Acts chapter 7. When it's all said and done, I'm going to preach five sermons on Stephen's one message there before the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem around AD 34. And again, if you're a guest, just kind of bring you up to speed what is going on. Jesus died. He arose from the dead. He ascended to the Father. The Holy Spirit comes down in Acts chapter 2, and this world will never be the same. His church is magnificent. It is triumphant. And thousands upon thousands, some believe as many as 250,000 people now, in the book of Acts chapter 7, have already come to faith in Christ, and the, and the Christian faith is just spreading all over the, the world, and it will really begin to spread when Stephen is killed. He will be the first Christian martyr. And Tertullian was right, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, meaning that when you kill us, and the enemy loves to do that, he loves to threaten and loves to persecute, but when when Christians lose their lives here on this earth, God just does an amazing thing. He multiplies our witness and our witness spreads and grows. And that's exactly what we see happening in the book of Acts chapter 7 and 8 and so forth. So Luke is the writer. You know him because he wrote the gospel of Luke. And he is a first-rate historian. He is a medically trained doctor. He's a brilliant man and he's a man of, of just detail and he has accumulated in these witnesses, these eyewitnesses, and he is an associate of Paul. And so he gives us this document, this Luke Acts document, and we are forever blessed as a church that we get to have in our hands a copy of the Word of God, and we get to study it and read it. It was in the Gideon's uh, banquet the other night here at our church Thursday night and so impressed with their ministry and all the good things that they do but their desire is to get the word of God out to people in places that they have no understanding of who God is and yet when we give them copies of the scriptures they just rejoice and so thrilled and so how blessed are we in the United States of America to be able to come with great freedom and great liberty and be able to preach God's word and to stand and proclaim the word of God. Wow, I'm so blessed. Just feel so very, very grateful to God uh, for all that he does. And I appreciate, I appreciate you. Thank you, Great Hills Baptist Church. Thank you for being the 
people of God that you are. I mean, you're a, a strong people and strong in your faith and deep in your discipleship and you're growing and, and maturing in your relationship with the Lord. And I love that. I love hearing all these great discipleship groups that are springing up all over our, our church and in our neighborhoods. And if you're interested in being discipled by somebody at Great Hills, then we want to help you. In fact, there are people being trained. I'm, I'm working with about a dozen men right now on Wednesday night, and many, many others are being trained to be disciple makers. So if you find yourself maybe in infancy or in childhood and in your faith, and you want to go to the next step, you want to go to the next level, let us know. I mean, you can literally go to info at ghbc.org, I think it is, and you can tell us, hey, I want to be discipled. And somebody in this church, man on man, woman on woman, we will help you grow in your relationship with the Lord. So, all right, we're in the book of Acts. Everybody good? Don't y'all feel like standing up again? Okay, why don't y'all go ahead, stand up, stretch out a little bit. We're going to read the word of God together. Say, oh, I just love it when you mix it up like that. I was just taking a good nap. I was nestled in and I was about to go out and you, you interrupted me. Well, amen. All right, so we're going to read Acts chapter 7. We're going to begin in verse 44. Now, just give you a little context here. Stephen, whoo, he is in the trial of his life. We know how this will eventuate. It will end in his martyrdom. And what he does, though, is he gives this tremendous defense for the Christian faith. And by the way, he is defending the faith before a group of men known as the Sanhedrin, the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the lawyers, the ethicists of the day, the religious ruling elite, the aristocracy of Israel. And they are there and they have Stephen on trial because they've accused Stephen of four things. They said, you have blasphemed God. You have blasphemed Moses, the temple and the law. And so Stephen now is put on the defense and he's going to give a verbal defense for what he believes and how Jesus Christ is the son of God who cannot be, who can, God cannot be contained. He cannot be halted. He cannot be limited, not by a temple, not by a law, not by anybody or anything. God has invaded this world in the person of his son, and Stephen says, I have not violated God's laws and commandments, but you have. And so this is going to eventuate in his martyrdom and in his death. And you'll understand why at about verse 51, when he gets really in their grill, personal with them, you'll see it. All right, here we go. Our fathers, Stephen says, had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness. As God appointed instructing Moses to make it according to the, plat, the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers, your fathers and my fathers, they have, having received it in turn, they also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out all before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. Now he's going to quote Isaiah 66 and, and keep standing because I want to read it to you. What he's he almost verbatim, he quotes Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all of these things? And then in verse 51, 
He just opens up and lets them have it, all right? He's going to move from this defense and explaining the faith of the past and the faith of the fathers, and now he's going to go right after the Sanhedrin and said, you're a stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. By the way, that is not how you win friends and influence people. I mean, that's, I mean, he is speaking the truth of God as a prophet of God. And watch what happens next. He says, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one. Talking about Jesus. Of whom you... You, Sanhedrin, now have become the betrayers and the murderers of the just one. And then he says, who, having received the law by the direction of angels, you have not kept it. May the Lord have the blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Wow, what a text. What an amazing passage of scripture. Let's just pray before we get into this message. Father, we thank you. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for men of God like Stephen. Lord, I pray that you would raise up a host of modern day Stephens, men of God who are unashamed and bold to pronounce the truth of God. And, and Lord, we, leave, we live in a sea of relativism. Lord, we live in a sea of immorality, of postmodernism personified. Do whatever you want to do. Live like you want to live. But God, your, your word has given us parameters and boundaries. You've given us laws for our benefit. Not because you hate us, but because you love us, Lord. And you want the absolute best for us. So I pray that we would receive it today. Lord, I pray we'd open up our hearts and open up our minds as we worship you, God, and we study you. And, and Lord, as we look back, as Stephen takes us on this amazing journey of the faith of Israel and how it culminates and how you have come in the very person of your son, Jesus. And you're greater than all the laws. You're greater than Moses. You're greater than the temple. You're greater than everything. And Lord, so many miss you, but Lord, so many find you. And I pray that today, that the tribe of those who miss you would be greatly diminished. And the tribe of those who find you, Lord, would be greatly augmented and supplemented. And God, your name, would be glorified here at 10,500 Jollyville and as the word of God is spoken here and it spreads throughout this cyberspace, the internet, I pray that people far and wide, Lord, would hear the message of the gospel. And Lord, they would be drawn to the God of Israel, to the God of Moses, and preeminently to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we need you. Lord, we need we need the Holy Spirit of God. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I receive you, the Spirit of God, your anointing, your filling, your power, but most of all, your person, who you are, the same person who so inundated and filled this man of God, Stephen. Lord, would you fill me? Lord, a mere mortal, a clay jar with, with feet of clay. Lord, with just mere mortal human being. Holy Spirit of God, would you fill me and infuse me with such an anointing and a power from on high, God, that I would speak the word of God with truth and with boldness and with passion and with compassion, God. 
And may your word, Lord, just sound forth like a clarion trumpet call and may men and women and boys and girls and students alike be drawn into a relationship with God through the Son, Jesus, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And this is my prayer. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So what Stephen is going to do is a masterpiece, an apology, a defense for the faith that is going to culminate in what I just read to you in 51, 52, and 53. But what I want you to look at with me is, is we're going to research this portion of his message. And what he's going to do is he's going to give a defense for who he is and what he believes. And he's going to do it by doing these things. He's going to remember the patriarchs and the faithful men of old of Israel. And he's going to demonstrate by taking us through a little history lesson of who those people are, that in actuality, he is not deviating from them. He is not violating them, but he is actually in line with them. And then I want to reflect, and I want us to reflect today, as Stephen does, on the power of God. And I want you to get this word. This is the most important word that I'm going to share with you today besides the name of Jesus, all right? It's the word. Are you ready for it? Presence, okay? Think about that word. All throughout the sermon, think about this word, the presence of God. I got to say this. I just can't wait. I'm, I'm afraid if I wait, I might forget, but I probably won't forget. But can I just say it? More than brick and mortar, more than great people of the past, more than our laws and our temples and our buildings and our churches, we need and crave the presence of God more than anything, the presence of God in our midst. And so Stephen, this is what gets him killed. The Sanhedrin was so proud of their temple and their laws that they missed God. They said, but God cannot come in the form of a man. God could never walk among us. Surely he could not be a carpenter. And surely, oh my word, he could not be born to, to Mary and the virgin and, and Joseph there is his dad. I mean, what in the world? God could not do that because then God would step out of the confines of our temple. And, and Stephen says, forget your temple. A greater than the temple has come. It's the just one, Jesus Christ. And by the way, you missed him. You missed him. You were so infatuated with the temple that you missed the God of the temple. So it starts with a P. It's the key word in my sermon today, and it's what? Oh, that's very good, very good, good, good. You guys got it. About four or five people over here said it. I'm, I'm, okay, it starts with a P. What is it? Yes, presence of God. Okay, the final thing I want to share with you is this. By the way, final is like the outline. This is the, <laughs> this is the final part of the outline. The first part of the outline is remember those great men of the past. Number two is reflect on the presence and power of God. And number three, what Stephen does is he, he is so determined. He is resolved and resolute to do the right thing. All right, so all three of those things, this is my message today. First of all, let's remember, Stephen says, let's remember those who have gone before us. And he takes us through this litany of men that you know and I know. And I imagine the Sanhedrin is going, what is, where is he going with this? I mean, what is he getting at here? And Stephen, I mean, he's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Bible already tells us in Acts chapter 6 that he is a man, watch this, full of faith 
full of wisdom, and he's full of the Holy Spirit, and nobody can refute him. He is the anointed preacher prophet of God, and he is going to speak the truth of God to the people who thought they were the chosen of God to rule and reign as God's gift to Israel, the Sanhedrin, the 70 member strong coterie of men who, I mean, they dictated everything that was to happen in the religious and the political realm of Israel. And here comes this bold deacon, this bold preacher named Stephen saying, well, let's talk about that. First of all, if you look in, in verse 44, he jumps right into saying, our fathers, they had the, remember what this was, this was the preliminary to the temple. It was called the tabernacle, which they constructed. And it was in the wilderness wanderings. And God appointed this. God had them build this tabernacle and he instructed Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Now that doesn't sound like defamation. That doesn't sound like, um, yeah, I don't believe in the temple or the tabernacle, no. You know, Stephen is honoring the past but he's not going to let the past dictate what God wants to do in the present. He, you got to understand his argument. His syllogism, his razor-like logic is going to be like this. Yes, the temple was good. Yes, the law is good. Yes, the tabernacle was wonderful. And so was Abraham. And so was Joseph. And so was Moses. He's already talked about those guys. And now he transitions into these guys and he talks about Joshua having received it in turn and brought with Joshua in verse 45 into the land possessed by the Gentiles. And God drove them out before the face of our fathers until the days of, here's another one, David, whom found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. And then in verse 47, now Solomon has built, y'all get this? It's masterful, it's brilliant. He's taken us from Abraham Moses, uh, Joshua, Moses, he's taken us now into David and King Solomon and all of these great men of God were on a journey. They were on a journey fulfilling their purpose and their destiny to a greater day, a greater day that was coming and it was the day of the Messiah. That day had dawned and the Sanhedrin had missed it and Stephen very masterfully demonstrates that he is not dishonoring the past at all. He is just saying that they have led us to a point and now the utter fulfillment of who God wants us to know he is has come in the person of Jesus. But before he gets there, he, he explains to them some wonderful doctrine and theology about these great people of, of the past and that it, God will... God will work. I mean, he has worked. He's continuing to work. But the temple, as powerful as it was, you cannot elevate the temple in such a way that God could never work outside the temple. Kind of reminds me of this whole Kanye West discussion. You know, I was talking about Kim Kardashian a few weeks ago and she was like, this is not a church and we're not into all that religion stuff and he's not even preaching. We're just singing praise to God. I'm like, honey, go talk to your husband. He's doing a whole, I really wouldn't call her honey. I mean, I just, just kind of, <laughs> Ashley, you are the honey of my life. All right, I'm just, just saying. So anyhow, Kanye West could tell her that 
hey, I, I know the, the verdict's still out, and I, I don't know where this ends with him, but I've seen enough to say, praise God. I'm grateful to God for a man who's willing to stand up and say he's a follower of Jesus Christ, and he's trying to point as many people as he can to God. I'm grateful to that. You know, Jesus said, if you're not against me, you're for me, right? So praise the Lord for that. That's unconventional. That's very different. Could God save a rapper and turn him into a Jesus man and, and preach the gospel? Yes, God can do anything. Listen, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. And, and, and this, this is a big discussion going on in Christendom. And, and the religious Pharisees among us would just judge, judge, judge. But I'd say, let God be the judge. And if he turns out to be a fake and to be a phony, then let God judge him. But as far as we can tell right now, praise God, may he keep on preaching and singing songs for for the Lord, but that's unconventional. That's very different. And yet it seems like God has a way of doing stuff like that. And we can, can miss it if we're, if we're not careful. Think about, um, I think about the past. I think about the ways that God has operated. And, and all these people, they were so unconventional. I mean, I mean, God has a sense of humor. I mean, Abraham... Oh, by the way, Abraham, you're, you're going to have a, a son, you and Sarah. You know, I know, I know she's about dead, but she's going to get pregnant. <laughs> really? And, and they have a son, Isaac. And Moses, 80 years old, tongue-tied shepherd, just can't really speak very good. And God says, Moses, you're going to be my mouthpiece. You're going to go into the very court of Pharaoh and you're going to tell him, let my people go. And Moses goes, oh my word, are you kidding me? Last time I was there, I was killed. I killed somebody and you want me to go back? They're going to kill me. And then here comes Joshua. And Joshua, after, you know, Moses, they went through the Red Sea. Now, Joshua, they're going to walk through the Jordan River. That's pretty wild. And then they're going to say, we're going to march around Jericho seven times. <laughs> really? Yeah. And then we're going to blow the trumpets. And then what's going to happen? Has that ever happened before? No. But it happened and the walls came tumbling down. I could just see Stephen saying, don't you dare put God in a box. Don't halt him. Don't handcuff him. Our great parents and fathers of the past, they were unconventional. They, they colored outside the parameters and the boundaries and the lines. Could it be, could it be that God is doing it again? You see, his argument is yes. His argument is for Jesus who was so unconventional and so different that the religious elite uh, missed him. Oh, there's a lot more on that point. I just have to say I got to go bye-bye to that point because I got to move on to point number two because this, this is so fun right here. Number two, all right, so remember the past. Understand God's workings in the past. But number two, let's reflect on the presence of God. Reflect on the power and the presence of God. Here it is in verse 48. The Most High, El El Yon is the Hebrew name. He does not dwell in temples made with hands. As the prophet says, your prophet Isaiah said this, Sanhedrin. Have y'all forgotten? I mean, it's in our Bibles. Heaven is God's throne. Earth is his footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all of these things? And so Stephen continues his, his powerful reasoning, his argument, 
that more than the past and the temple and even the law is the person of, and he doesn't refer to him as Jesus in this passage right here. He refers to him as, as the just one. And he, and he quotes Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. He reminds me of 1 Kings 8, 27, when he talks about uh, Solomon. He says, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold heaven, and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple, which I, Solomon says, have built, or David says, I have built. You know, in lots of study in this passage of Scripture, this is not an easy text to analyze and study and preach. So I've, I've spent hours upon hours of studying this passage of Scripture and reading what a lot of my heroes and scholars and interpreters of Scripture, what they had to say about this text. Can I read it to you? Sure you can. Okay, thank you. Watch this. Listen to these great quotes. Stephen was not guilty of blaspheming the temple. They were for confining God to it. Instead, with Solomon and Isaiah, he argued that God was greater than any temple. The temple was, ooh, listen to this. The temp temple was the symbol of God's presence, not the prison of his essence. That's strong. Let me give you another one. It was in Christ, they believed, that the promise of a new house built for the name of God was truly fulfilled. Now, let me take a, a moment and, and give your attention to Luke chapter 1. This was said of Christ at the very inception here at, at the story, the Christmas narrative. He will be great, and He will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give Him, talking about Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. Could y'all back that up just, just for a little bit? And will give Him the throne, look at that, of who? Of his father, David. The father gives the throne of David to the son. Okay. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And so Stephen is right in line with the prophets. He's right in line with the saying of Jesus at the very inception, the, the Genesis days of his life here on this earth. And one more quote, it says this, Stephen's assertion is that neither the tabernacle nor the temple was meant to be such an institutionalized feature in Israel's religion as to prohibit God's further redemptive activity or to halt the advance of God's plan for his people, end of quote. I say, are we not guilty of the same thing? And we are. If we say, well, we as Baptists, we just got God. We're a people of the book. Amen. We're a people of the Bible. Amen. But if we're such people of the book and say that, well, we've got it all figured out and we've got God figured out and we've got the church, we've got it all figured out, then we don't have nothing figured out. The key to staying faithful and finishing the race we have begun is to reflect on the presence of God, the presence of God. He's omnipresent. He was, he is, he will be. He's everywhere at all times. He's omnipotent and he reigns. He's omniscient. He knows everything. I got so excited in this sermon, I actually forgot to give y'all the title of my sermon. The title of my sermon is Finish the Race. And Stephen's going to finish this race. He's going to, he's going to, 
There it is, finish the race. He's gonna go right into the presence of God and he's gonna fulfill everything that God has wanted him to do. And he's not gonna go in draped in clothes of regret and oh, I wish I had of, none of that. But he's gonna enter right into the presence of God having done everything that God has wanted him to do. By the way, we all have a race and we're all in this race. And if you and I will run the race for Christ and finish effectively, then we, we will do these things. We will look back at the past. We will remember the great men and women of God. But as we are going through this life, we will reflect upon, we will ruminate on, and we will continue to keep before us the presence of God, the, the power of God uh, in our lives. And that's so important, okay, to, to keep that in mind, that God is present. God is with us. God has a plan. He has not... Uh, forsaken us. And the last thing I want to share with you is this, is this resolve to do the right thing. And this is where I get this from his ministry, from Stephen's life. It's verses 51 through 53. And he had already determined that he was going to do this. He was determined that he was going to speak the truth of God, even though it may cost him his life. And we need, by the way, we need men and women of God like that today. In our political and religious climate of appeasement and don't rock the boat and, and just get ahead and, and just please everybody and don't worry about displeasing God. In that culture, in that milieu, then I would say, well, where's the man of God? Where's the woman of God? Where are the people of God who will stand up and say the hard things, and, but say the right things? You can say the right thing, you can say it in the wrong way, or you can say the right thing in the right way, with passion and compassion. And here Stephen comes and he gives us a beautiful model. He gives us a beautiful template. If you're here today and you're considering going into the gospel ministry, and I hope you are, I hope many men of God are listening to us on the internet and many men of God here today that, mm, 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 my God, God would anoint you like he did Stephen and that you would be a force for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You would be unashamed and you would be bold and you would speak the word of God even though it may cost you your life. Where are those men of God? Where are you men of God? Let, let you have that steel in your backbone and not this mamby-pamby, religious, wimpy, wimpy stuff, but I mean speak the truth of God and let the chips fall where they may. But be truthful to God and truthful to the Word of God. Y'all looking at me. I know I get these looks a lot like, dude, you were born too late. You should have been born in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s when preachers preached like that then. People don't preach like this today, Brother Dan. Okay. It's okay. This is, this is, this is all I know to do is to preach the Word of God, to stand upon the promises of God. And many of y'all know me. Y'all, I've been here almost 10 years. Y'all know me personally. I am the most boring individual that you will meet. I'm quiet. I'm reticent. I'm reserved. I go into a room. I'm not the life of the party. I'm just happy I got to the party. But when I stand up and preach, I'm like, who is this person? I don't even recognize me. I don't need, I don't. 
but it's like God is saying, I'm, I'm going to choose the weak, very weak things of this world so that I can manifest my power and my glory. Goodness, there's a lot more I want to say about that, but I, I, want, to, I want to get back to this. Resolve to do what is right. Let, let's, let's look what he calls them. He says, you are a bunch of stiff-necked people. Mercy. That's the same thing God said about their forefathers in Genesis 32, 9. The Hebrew word, kashe, means to be hard, means to be obstinate, means to be heavy and rough. But the Greek word that Stephen uses here, this is really interesting. When it says you are stiff-necked, the root word is sclerosis. Isn't that interesting? It's where we get words like multiple sclerosis. It's a hardening of the soft tissues in the nerve, the nervous system, so that, and it's debilitating. You know anybody with MS? Sclerosis, that, that hardening where there should be myable, I mean, moldable soft tissue, it becomes hard. And Stephen says, you, you have sclerosis of the heart. Your heart, Sanhedrin, is hard and it's brittle to the things of God. God has been so good to you, Sanhedrin. He has given us his son who loved us, who died for us, but you killed him. You killed him, and the father has raised him from the dead. And he says, but you, you are stiff-necked, and he's not through making them mad. He says, and you're uncircumcised and hard in ears. Oh, my word, this... This comes from Leviticus 26, 41, this, this terminology of being uncircumcised in your heart. Oh, the Abrahamic covenant, they believed in that and they exercised and believed the, the circumcision of the foreskin. That's right, that's our identity and that's who we are as Jews. But, and Stephen, did you notice? He didn't downplay that and he didn't say, oh, well, that whatever. But no, he said, but you are uncircumcised in your heart. Your heart is like your the hard tissue and your heart is not soft before God and you have, missed, you have missed him. And then in verse 51, he says, now this is the part that just got me. I was like, wow, did he really say this? Verse 51, he says, you stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Wow. You always resist him. You know, I was thinking about Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm an old school, old thought person. He, Charles Haddon Spurgeon was, was probably, arguably, the greatest preacher in the history of Christendom. And he just happened to be a Baptist, amen. I'm grateful for that. But Spurgeon, in 1861 to 1890, or 1860 to 1891, 31 years, he was the pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. 6,000 people would come every Sunday while another 6,000 would wait outside. And this is cold. This is London. And as soon as he preached the Word of God and the masses, they would leave and another 6,000 would come and hear him preach. And this is what Charles Haddon Spurgeon would do. Man, this blessed me. Spurgeon would come off of his seat and he would walk to the pulpit and he would do this every time he preached and this is what he would say. 
I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe, and he says this to himself, to himself, not saying it out loud, but I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Hello, Metropolitan Tabernacle. If you have your Bibles today, turn with me to the Gospel of John. Then he would preach. And I thought about that. It wasn't his rhetorical abilities. It wasn't his amazing craft of analogy and simile and metaphor. It wasn't the way he would create his message. And by the way, he was a genius at all of that. But Charles Haddon Spurgeon would say, if I have any anointing and any power in my ministry, it's because I don't resist the Holy Spirit, but I believe in the Holy Spirit. And I receive him, his anointing and his filling to preach. There are two ways for us to respond to the Holy Spirit. We can rely on him or we can resist him. And the Sanhedrin is resisting him. And then he comes to this point in verse 52, and this is where he's determined in his mind he's going to do the right thing. He says, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? By the way, they sawed, cut him in two, Isaiah, all 66 uh, chapters, the book of Isaiah, members Isaiah. Their fathers sawed him in two. They killed him. They made him a martyr. Jeremiah, they stoned to death. So Stephen is saying, this y'all about to do to me like you've done all of God's prophets. Which one have you not persecuted? And you killed those, the very people who told you about the just one. And then he turns the dagger right into them and says, of whom you have betrayed and murdered Jesus Christ. Wow. You know, it's interesting. You preach like he did. It, it wasn't so much for the benefit and the blessing of the Sanhedrin as it was for those who would come after them. Translation, God has reserved Stephen's sermon all these years so that you could hear it, so that I could hear it, so that I could be blessed by it, so that I too could reflect back on all of these amazing people of God, that I too could ruminate and focus on the power and the presence of God, and I too as a preacher of the gospel especially, would be determined in my spirit to do the right thing, to say what needs to be said when it's very unpopular to say it. What time is it? I've lost time, track of time. What time is it, 11.55? Um, I was looking again at the, at the life of and I'm going to mention his name. And I, I, hope you don't, I hope you don't get too much into politics. I hope you'll just listen. And I'm going to give you an, an example of a man who, I know he's not perfect. And I know he finished well. He was born in 1936. He died just last year, just a little over a year ago, August 25th, 2018. His name was John McCain. John McCain was a patriot. And I don't care if he did get captured. He's still a hero, and he's still a patriot. And he was at the Hanoi Hilton for five and a half years. I went to the Hanoi Hilton a few years ago, and that is the most, ooh. I mean, even today, you, you go in, there's this creepy feeling of our servicemen in Vietnam War. Many of them were captured, shot down, taken there, and tortured. John McCain was there for five and a half years. You ever notice when his arms always kind of bowed and looked different because he broke both his arms when he ejected from his airplane. 
And he went, he brought, I think he broke his leg also, and he went in there and they would torture him and they would say, give us the names of your superiors. He wouldn't do it. Give us the name of your fellow pilots. He wouldn't do it. And so there came a time when John McCain had an opportunity to get out, to be set free by his captors. And they said, you can go, but your comrades are going to stay. Even your comrades who have been here longer than you, they found out that John McCain's dad was an admiral. And so they're like, oh, we better let this guy go. And he wouldn't go. He said, I'm not going to be released when some of my fellow soldiers and men have been in captivity longer than me. So this is what they'd do to him. They'd tie his hands behind his back and they would connect the rope to his neck like this and that's how they would leave him torture absolute horrific torture and I don't look really bad like this but you tighten that rope between my arm my hands and my neck and, and Rick Warren asked John McCain one time he said when did you feel the closest to Jesus in all of your life he said that was easy he says it was at the Hanoi Hilton when I was there for five and a half years as a prisoner of war on, on Christmas Day. Christmas Day. One of my Vietnamese captors snuck into my cell and he loosened the rope. He loosened the rope so that my arms could rest, my shoulders could rest, and my neck could rest. And that same Vietnamese soldier he looked this way, he looked that way, and he grabbed me, and he took me outside the cell on Christmas Day, and he let me go outside. And while we were outside, he couldn't say anything, but he took his leg, he took his foot, and he made this motion. He made a cross. And John McCain says, that was the most intimate time of worship of my Savior that I ever experienced. I'm so glad for people like that who are determined, resolute to do the right thing, even though it's costly, even though it's unpopular, even though it's not going to get you any advancements or maybe even cost you your life. Are you listening to me, students? I hope you're listening to me. Do. Do the right thing. So I might be the only person to do it. Take a stand for Jesus Christ and be bold in your walk with Him. And parents, can I come alongside of you and say, let us be bold. Let us not do anything that would compromise our walk with Jesus Christ and let us daily die to self and let us read the Word of God. Let us pray. Let us share our faith and And let us go to heaven victorious. We enter into his presence. And we would say, praise God for you, Jesus. You saved me. You redeemed me. And I was not perfect. And I know I failed. And, but God, you, you kept on encouraging me. And you kept me be strong. Ooh, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. It's coming a day. There's coming a time in this great country that when we take a stand, it's going to cost us. It's just a matter of time. Then will we stand. Will we still say that marriage is supposed to be between a man and a woman? Will we still say that, yes, the, the life is sacred, not only in the womb, but watch this. The life is sacred all the way to the tomb. 
which is becoming an incredibly unpopular doctrine in our culture of death. But to say, no, as best we know how, we're going to honor God, we're going to stand on the Word of God like people like this. Okay. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and I, want to, I just want to speak to your heart for just a moment. And I know I run the risk when I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes because some, some may think this is the time to leave. This is not the time to leave. This is actually the time to come, to come to God, to come to Him in prayer, to come to Him in brokenness, to come to Him with a heart that is yielded to Him. Can I, can I just ask you this? Do you have sclerosis of the heart? Only you can answer that question. Has the things of God become trivial? Have they become passe? Have you confined God and halted God and bound God so that in your mind, He could never... <laughs> He can never do anything extraordinary or anything that is beyond the temple to use Stephen's argument. Can I just come to you today and just humbly tell you, you cannot contain him. He is like C.S. Lewis's Oslin, that lion, there's no containing him. He is, he is a roaring lion. I got to get on my knees, people. I'm telling you, I got to get on my knees. That our God is an awesome God. Our God is a consuming fire, and, and yet, and yet, our God is the greatest lover ever known. He loves us with an undying love. He loves us so much in His holiness that He gave us His Son to be the sacrifice for our sins. That's right. You're a sinner. I am a sinner. And Jesus Christ is a wonderful Savior. Do you know Him today? Has there ever been a time in your life when you said, Jesus Christ, come in to me. Forgive me. Save me. I want to yield myself to you. I want you to use me for your glory and for your purposes. And have you ever done that? If not, Glory to God today. Let today be this day. I plead with you. I would beg of you. If you're listening on the internet, God bless you. Thank you for listening. But if you're here today, say, I yield myself to God and I receive him to be my savior. If you've never done that, do that today and follow him in believer's baptism. Identify with him in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And then get into a church, get into a Bible teaching, believing church, a church that will preach the word of God and that will equip you and disciple you so that, not that you can be odd for God, but that you can be on fire for God so that you can live a life that is pleasing. Oh, let me tell you, Great Hills Baptist Church, Jesus Christ did not die on Calvary's cross to fill heaven with a bunch of wimps. He wants us to be royal servants. He wants us to be men and women, kings and queens of the cross so that we live for him and that God, if God so wills it, that we would die for him. Today, in Austin, Texas, in 2019, 
Would you stand for him? Would you walk with him? And would God be pleased with you? Father, this is my prayer. I pray for my church. Lord, I pray for me that we would be the people of God that are on fire for God. That, but, but Lord, that we would be loving you and we would be looking for you. We would focus on your presence. Knowing God, not, not, not judging other people, not, not worried about other people, but so focused on you and being the people of God you want us to be. God, I love you. I thank you for your word. It challenges me to no end. In Great Hills Baptist Church, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you think this was a hard sermon to hear, oh my, how would you like to preach it? Oh God, would you work? God, would you save? God, would you tear down walls and boundaries and barriers and limits? And may the Holy Spirit of God not be resisted, but absolutely received. What does this look like for you, friend, today? What does it look like for your marriage? What does it look like for your walk with God, for your pornography addiction? What does it look like? What does it look like for the way you treat people at work? What, is it, what does it look like the way, the reputation you have in your neighborhood? Here it is. Here it is. Draw near unto God and let God draw near unto you and save you and change you and help you be the man, the woman, the teenager the boy, the girl, the student for God that he wants you to be. And this is my prayer in Jesus' name. And before I say amen, can I just say this? If you're here today and he would say, man, pray for me, or man, I know I'm walking at a guilty distance with God and I'm not in the word of God like I should be. I'm not praying like I should. I'm not sharing my faith like I should. Then here, here, listen to me, listen to me carefully. Praise God you're here today. You are here in the presence of God and God loves you so much. He doesn't want to leave you like you are. He wants to change you. He wants to, he wants to convict you, not to make you miserable. He wants to convict you so that you repent so he can make you glad. Would you receive that? It may mean you come to the altar and pray. It may mean you just go out in the church parking lot and you just stand there for a few minutes and talk to God. I don't know what that looks like for you. But we're going to be here and we're going to welcome you in Jesus' name, I pray. And that's a long prayer and everybody said, amen. Let's all stand up. Praise God. Let's sing praise to the Lord. Got pastors here and ministers of the gospel here. Let us pray for you. Let us encourage you. Even now, as you come.